When your space has the long-lasting, noticeable scent of Airwick Vibrant Scented Oils, you'll want to invite everyone over, from book club to the fantasy league, even the in-laws. It smells amazing. Airwick Vibrant Scented Oils are infused with two times more natural essential oils versus regular Airwick Scented Oils for our most authentic, nature-inspired fragrance experience. Hmm. Transform your space with scents like white sage and mahogany or lavender and water lily. Now that's a breath of fresh Airwick. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Through 25 seasons, 4,561 episodes, I believe The Oprah Winfrey Show was one of the greatest classrooms in the world. I really never thought of it that way. The aha moments, the breakthroughs, the LOLs, the connections, the occasional ugly cry. I miss him so terribly. I miss him every single minute. The moments that mattered. The eye-opening life lessons. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. I'm bringing them back. It's time to open the vault. I've personally chosen these classic episodes to share with you again. Every single person you ever will meet shares that common desire. They want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? You are listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. Listen to this email. You've touched me in ways I can't begin to describe. No matter what happens, I will always be here for you. Those words were written by a 40-year-old man to a 13-year-old girl during their eight-month affair. The mother of that young girl says that as a parent, she made a terrible mistake that she cannot take back. Our family is just the very typical Midwestern family. And we're living in a community that we just felt was so safe and wonderful. Everybody knowing one another, feeling like everyone was looking out for everyone. Megan, my daughter, began softball in her kindergarten year and became really close with the girls on the team. And then her seventh grade, a new man in the neighborhood, Barry Ramsey, moved in and he was gonna coach the team. Some weeks later, Barry Ramsey dropped Megan off after a practice and began talking with Megan. And I saw an interaction that you would see between people that are perhaps dating or in relationship. And something shot right through me that something is not right. As we call it, a woman's intuition. And it was so strong, I told my husband, something's not right. My reaction was, this guy is, you know, respected member of the community and his daughter's on the team, he's the coach. What could be the problem? And shrugged it off, so then I did too. I thought Coach Barry, he's a really cool guy. He was fun to hang out with. One afternoon, he kissed me. I think I was nervous, I was excited. It was a weird mix of feelings because I knew it was wrong, but I liked it at the same time. The second chance of acting upon my intuition came at the end of the season 
when the coach invited the entire team over to his house to spend the night for a sleepover. And I felt instantly no, but my husband and my daughter and the other mothers were all supportive of it. And so against my better thoughts, I did allow her to go. Barry and I were emailing each other on a regular basis. Um, we talked on instant messenger. He had written me an email and my parents found it. Megan is my stepdaughter. The first email said things along the lines of, Megan, you've touched me in ways I could never imagine. There will always be a place in my heart for you. The tone of it was very disturbing. We did get the police involved. They determined there had been some kissing and hugging, but they had not crossed the line. At first, he denied it. After uh, talking a little while, he finally broke down. And he actually sat across the table from me and cried and told me how horrible it was and it would never happen again. So they ordered him to not coach again. They ordered him to seek counseling and to never have any contact with Megan after that. It was about a month after the police got involved that he recontacted me. It was over instant messenger. That's when the more physical relationship began. When I say physically active, I mean that we were having sex. Susan and her husband, uh, Dave, had no idea that their 13-year-old daughter, Megan, and her 40-year-old softball coach were having sex. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Barry and I were sexually intimate three to four times a week. I started coming over to his house a lot. My parents wouldn't know where I was. She would tell us that she was going to go study with some friends. I started telling my parents that I was at a friend's house or somewhere that I really wasn't. On several occasions, she was supposed to be at drama practice. Rehearsals were getting canceled a lot. I would call him at work, and he would come home early. She took up jogging, and she was never a jogger. And we didn't follow up on these little signs. He used to tell me all the time that he was so in love with me and that we were going to get married. I mean, we used to even joke around about having kids together. But he never thought of me as a 13-year-old when he was with me. He was very nervous about people finding out. He always told me that if anyone were to find out, his life would be ruined. He'd lose his job, his house, his kids. After a couple months, relationships started to fall apart. He didn't really want to talk to me anymore. He stopped telling me that he loved me. We really tried to constantly check the emails. She had composed this letter to a teen chat forum stating, I'm a 14-year-old, I have been harassed by older men in my life, and because of one of them, I am no longer a virgin. That hit me like a ton of bricks because this confirmed that she'd been having sexual relations with a 40-year-old man. He was engaging in sexual intercourse with our daughter. It is every parent's worst nightmare. The detectives actually had Megan phone Mr. Ramsey. He said, they're going to want to know why you're not a virgin. And they recorded that phone call. That proved to be key because he really incriminated himself on that tape. Charges were filed, and he eventually pled guilty in court. They indicted him on 10 counts of gross sexual imposition. 
Mr. Ramsey was sentenced to four years in jail. My emotional state at the time of the trials, it was very unstable. I felt like I was turning my back on someone I cared a lot about. I went to the hospital. Barry doesn't care. No one must care. It's not even worth it to try and stick this out. And I wanted to die. We wished so much that we could roll the clock back to that day when I had the feeling the biggest mistake of my life was not acting upon that intuition that nature gives us to protect ourselves and our children. So this is Susan, her husband Dave, and their daughter Megan. Why do you say this was your biggest mistake? It altered my daughter's future for the rest of her life. It impacted our family, mm -hmm. our community. The grief has just gone on and on. It's mm -hmm. endless. Well, the reason why this show so interested me, and I know a lot of, as I was watching, a lot of the moms in the audience, everybody's gasping because this is your worst nightmare. But the thing to get from this lesson is that everybody has an instinct. And it's just, it always comes in the form of almost like a little whisper, like a, oh, that was odd. Like the moment you said you saw them and you thought that they're acting like- That is exactly what I thought. Yes. I saw their eye, eye contact, even just the way he positioned himself with her. Mm -hmm. And knew, and I told my husband immediately, there's something wrong. Yeah. And when she told you it was something wrong, you thought what? I you thought talked she was her nuts. out of it. You, why? Because this guy, I didn't know him very well, but I had gotten to know him throughout the season. And he was very educated. He had a terrific career. Uh, he was very sports oriented, like I am. He's a terrific golfer, even though we never played. Also, he has two daughters, one who played with Megan. I just thought, you know, this is someone yeah. we entrust with Did her. not fit your profile as of a child molester. Couldn't fit anyone's. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're thinking it's going to be the sleazy guy in the corners waiting yeah. to come out. And so more than anything, that is the message of your uh, mistake, is that child molesters are people that we all know, and a lot of them are well-read and intelligent, and they're not walking around in their trench coats, you know, flashing people. Yeah. So you said he's too well-respected, he's too... And so you listened to him. I did, mm -hmm. but I still had it in the back of my mind and tried to keep an eye out. Why didn't you just confront her? Why didn't you confront Megan and say, what's going on here? That's a good question. I think I wasn't being diligent enough with that information. And that is my message to every parent. Do not be afraid to go and confront these feelings that you have. Mm -hmm. Go after it. You were afraid it, to ask your own daughter because of what? Were you afraid of what the answer might be? That could very well be the truth. I, we knew something was wrong, and I felt like she would deny it. I didn't know that I would get the truth from her. Yeah, I think you confronted me, and most of the time I was lying about what was going on. So if she did ask me, like, where were you? You know, we didn't see you on the trail. Well, I stopped over at my friend's house, you know, of course. Now, I find it interesting that, that none of you describe this as sexual abuse, because to me it's classic sexual abuse. I think it is. Mm -hmm. um, it was just at the time that it was happening, I felt like it was a, a love connection. I felt like he was in love with me and I was in love with him. Mm -hmm. Today I feel like it was definitely sexual abuse. Okay, yeah. Because e even for me to use the term affair, that you were having oh, yeah. an affair with him, feels wrong because in my opinion, there are lots of young girls out there, I, as you all know, I was one of them, that, you know, for one re way, reason or another, get seduced. 
And that's what sexual molestation obviously is in the end. It's seduction, should be called sexual seduction. And then because you are seduced and you are so young and you have no knowledge about what's going on, you start to think it's love. But it is the adult responsibility at all times, regardless. The adult responsibility is to be in charge and not seduce young girls. So therefore, I, I, I have a problem calling it an affair that you had with him. So I will refer to it as during the time, the eight months where you were molested by him. Okay. Okay. What was going on with you? During those eight months, I felt like I had found my soulmate, mm -hmm. someone who I could talk to and who would listen to me. Mm -hmm. um, previously, when I first started just hanging out with him, um, my best friend and I had gotten into a fight. I was just kind of looking for someone to hang out with, be mm -hmm. able to talk to. And he was perfect. I mean, we talked about everything. That's just how it started out, just innocent, mm -hmm. hanging out. We were talking about everything. Mm -hmm. And eventually, it started to move forward. Mm -hmm. And um, it was all new to me. And so I was pretty excited about it because it's new and different. And, oh, I like this guy. And he must really like me, too, because that's what you do when you like each other, had right? You ever, I mean, you weren't even dating, right? Um, I'd had boyfriends, but, you know, the junior high boyfriend where you're like, yeah, I have a boyfriend. Yeah. That's it. Okay. But not, like, sexually involved. No. Not um, seriously going out. You had, you had restrictions on your ability to see boys. Yes. Okay. And so never even occurred to you to tell your parents because the idea for you was it was stimulating. Yeah, I didn't want to tell my parents because I felt like I, I needed him so I could be mm -hmm. myself in uh -huh. a way. Interestingly enough, though, all through that time, she was telling me, I don't know who I am. You don't know who I really am. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was adolescence. Mm -hmm. But I think it was her trying to tell us that something was going on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I need you to listen to me. I need you to be there for me. Okay, so after he first went to the police yeah. and was told to not make any contact with you, you felt what? I was upset mm -hmm. because I admitted to it, admitted that we had been kissing, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I felt really upset, like I had betrayed him and that he would hate me. Mm -hmm. um, That's the power of sexual seduction and molestation. That's the mm -hmm. power of it. And for, I know there are millions of other women who are watching and those of you in this audience, that's the power of it to make you feel like you are also yeah. complying. Right. In your 13-year-old mind, you, would you say that you were in love with him? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You were in love with him. And you wanted to marry him. Yes, I definitely wanted to marry him. Uh-huh. And he had, what, children your age? He had two daughters. Mm -hmm. um, one was my age and one is two years younger than mm -hmm. me. I sometimes thought about that, about mm -hmm. his girls. But mm -hmm. whenever I asked him about it, he'd just be like, oh, don't, it mm -hmm. doesn't matter. That's, mm -hmm. it. it'll work itself out. Mm -hmm. Now, sitting where you are, your 15-year-old self, which I think is really brave of you to come on and talk about this, because most people don't want to say it. And the, the, the power of uh, sexual abuse in this country is, I've said this many times, is that most parents feel like their kids are going to tell them, but parents don't understand the power of first sexual attraction. And so think about it yourself, however old you were when that first happened. The problem with sexual abuse, sexual uh, seduction, is that when you're young and you've never felt it before, it feels good. It feels good. And that is very often never said. Yeah. But it feels good. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And so you wanted it to continue. Oh, yeah. 
And, and let me just say that by saying that it feels good doesn't make it any less wrong. Right. Right. Okay. And so you now feel what as your 15-year-old self? Looking back at yourself, your Looking back, participation in it? Um, I deal with it every day. And mm -hmm. it's so hard for me to know, were my feelings genuine, were his? You know, it's something that is very conflicting, but I look back on it and I see all the signs there now of how he was taking advantage of me. Yeah. And I think that's a hard part for me. You know what? We did a show, I did an interview sexual um, abusers and molesters, seducers a while back. And even at my age, it was shocking for me to hear how calculated it is. Oh, yeah. It is a calculated act. It is unbelievably yeah. calculated. You're looking for a young, naive girl such as yourself yeah. and calculating what kind of move to make oh, yeah. and how to make the move. When I was in the hospital, one of the first things they told me about sexual abusers is that they can walk into a room and determine who has the low self-esteem, mm -hmm. who will be easy enough to take advantage of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when you were in the hospital, you realized that that kind of seduction, that kind of calculated, I'm going to see if I can touch your knee first, and then I'll see if I can touch your hair first, and then I'll accidentally brush up against her shoulder, and then if she doesn't say anything, then I'll go it's a little okay. further. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly... And when do you um, see see that you were used and manipulated? Oh yeah. Okay. You now and see that, that was at the hospital. That's where it all came through. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were taking me step by step, and what they they call it grooming. Mm -hmm. How they say, you know, they get the victim to trust them. Right. And then they'll, you know, they'll start with the kissing. If that's okay, we'll move a little further. And then if you're still comfortable with that, we'll keep going. And it's until they get tired of you. Mm-hmm. And how do you feel about that now? It makes me so angry. I cannot tell you. It just, and it makes me upset because now I have girls who I never even knew coming up to me and telling me, you know, this, this has been happening to me. What should I do? And it's just like, oh my gosh, how can this still be happening today? It just, it blows my mind. And what do you say, Susan? Long journey, a long journey. I hope that we can become more aware of it. Mm -hmm. And that people can actually understand that these children are victims. Yeah. Because I've had to hear from she wanted it. people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. But I, the reason why this story so fascinates me because I want America to know this is what it looks like. You know, I, my own friends, I remember uh, when their children were younger and I'd say, you know, chances are your daughter won't tell you. And my friends would say, of course my daughter would tell because it would be so painful, it's so awful, because we have this idea, like mm -hmm. you have, that it's going to be a horrible, torturous thing. And, of course, there are many times in this country when that does happen. But the face of sexual seduction and abuse in this country, this is what it looks like. Mm -hmm. It's uncles and cousins and coaches and fathers and stepfathers and yeah. relatives and friends who are trusted, who are smart, who are great seducers. He was telling me that he cared a lot about me and that he thought I was really amazing. He told me once that he had never thought he was going to have another family again until he met me. They have it. I wanted to show you these interviews that, are, that uh, we did a while back with child molesters because it shows you and, and the rest of you who are watching how absolutely calculating they are in their seduction process of a child. Listen to this. 
If I had thought about what I was doing to her and how it was affecting her, um, I wouldn't do it. So I had to manipulate my mind into making it that it really wasn't hurting her. The predator isn't the guy in the bushes picking up the kids off schoolyards. There is that, and that gets a lot of headlines. But it's 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 people in your lives. Most of my victims were, uh, you know, single mother environments, and uh, I was a step in and act like an adult, treat them, you know, equally, mm -hmm. and I would groom myself over a period, maybe a year or two, of masturbating to demon fantasies about the young girl asking me to teach her. I would do little things like, uh, well, part of grooming, wrestling with her, touching her accidentally, giving her hugs and little hand pecks, and just seeing each time how far I could go. And then at one point when I felt safe enough, I'd ask her, well, can I give you a big kiss, a French kiss, like an adult, you know, or have you ever seen a penis, you know, and would try to get her talking sex about her and, you know, try to break down the barriers a little at a time and every step was a step farther. And then if I felt that she reacted or was scared, then I'd bank off from that particular girl and maybe look for a new girl. Wow. That is <laughs> exactly how they work. And they're thinking about themselves the whole time. Yeah. And I wanted you to see that, and I wanted everybody who was watching who would judge you to see that. I want everybody who's ever been judged to see that, to understand that it is a calculated process of seduction. And everybody whose child has ever been abused or who's ever been abused should know this, that many years later, I mean, as a full adult in my 40s, I went to my father to explain to my father that I could no longer come to his house if he was going to have his brother there who had been one of my molesters. And my father, in my, in my 40s, which is not too long ago, said to me, I want to know, did he... I just want to know. I never really understood what happened. Did he, did he rape you? And I turned to my father and I said, Dad, I was 14 and he was 40. So it doesn't matter if he raped me. It doesn't matter if I had taken my clothes off and ran buck naked and sat on his head because he was the adult. And as the adult, he had the responsibility, if I was buck naked, to say, put your clothes yeah. on. Exactly. To put, exactly. say, put your clothes on. And so you should not spend your life blaming yourself because you were seduced. You were seduced. You were a child and you were seduced into believing that it was something that it was not. Yeah. And that's what the face of child molestation and sexual abuse is in this country. It's not torture and horror and, oh, my God, painful. It is sexual seduction. And once you were seduced, you start to think, oh, my God, what did I have to do with it? And maybe I love him and maybe he loves me. Yeah. That's what it is. And then you feel ashamed and then you carry that shame for however long it is you carry that shame. And you allow that shame to affect the way you feel about yourself and your self-esteem and the way you trust other people. And yep. that is the power of sexual abuse. That's what it does. And I want everybody to know that is what it does.
So when my producers told me about this next story, my mouth dropped open. I'm sure yours will, too. And pure, it's, it's, it's hard to believe. It was a cruel twist of fate and a dreadful mistake. We're talking about mistakes you can't take back today. One young man desperately wishes that he could take back. Dwight Samples is in a Florida prison right now, uh, serving a four-year sentence. And he says his punishment is nothing compared to the life sentence of guilt, of shame, and of grief that he lives with every day. During the holiday season, just outside Orlando, Florida, 21-year-old Dwight Samples stopped at a red light on his way home from work. As he waited for the light to change, another car pulled up beside him. When the light turned green, the two drivers took off. Linda O'Berry was driving on the same highway that fateful night. The boys were drag racing. The two cars flew by me like I was standing still. And I could see them darting in and out of traffic. As Dwight raced through the night, Diane, a 45-year-old mother of two, merged onto that same highway. Also in the car was her elderly friend, Vivian Green. They were out looking at the holiday lights. Suddenly, Dwight slammed into the car, carrying the two women. My heart stopped when I saw there was an accident. Corporal Gabe Rhodes was called to investigate. It was one of the worst accidents I've ever seen. He skidded for just over 300 feet before he hit the vehicle. The length of the skid mark showed that the vehicle was traveling over 100 miles an hour, so fast that it temporarily lifted both vehicles off the ground. The rear end of the ladies' vehicle had been pushed in all the way to the back seat, shoving the front seats forward into the windshield. I knew they were killed instantly. I was one of the first witnesses on the scene, and I also happened to be a nurse, so I tried to assist. The impact broke both their necks. I saw Dwight getting out of his car running to help the people that he just hit. He had a, a very bad gash across his forehead and down his nose. He was bleeding profusely. He kept telling everybody, to please go help the people in the car. It was then that Dwight looked inside the car and got the shock of his life. The shock was the driver of that car, one of the two victims, was his own mother. <laughs> Dwight's mother, Diane, never knew what hit her. At the accident scene, the tragedy continued to unfold. Devastated by what he discovered, Dwight made a desperate attempt to save his mother. He's trying to yank the door open, and he's looking down. He, goes, he said, it's my mom. I don't need help. Someone go help my mom. Please, somebody go help my mom. Dwight recounted those painful memories from prison. I couldn't open the door, and I sat there and just beat on the window and beat on the window. I just wanted to get in there and help her the best I could. Frantic and terrified, Dwight called his father. He said, Daddy, it's mom. I've killed Mama. When I got to the scene, he had already been airlifted, and uh, I went to the car and just basically fell apart. I just went to pieces. Dwight spent the next several days in the hospital, overcome with guilt. His brother, Doug, never left his side. Dwight had turned to me and just said, I'm sorry about Mama. The family buried Diane on Christmas Eve, but it would just be the beginning of their heartache. Dwight was facing up to 30 years in prison for two counts of vehicular homicide, one for the death of his mother, the other for her passenger, Vivian Green. I can say I hoped they would be more lenient because of his mother, but deep down inside, I knew they wouldn't. After months of negotiations, the prosecution offered Dwight a deal. You understand that, right, Dwight? Yes, sir. 
he had a plea for me at four years in prison, 15 years probation. But Dwight's dad and brother believe the sentence was still too harsh. I can only imagine what it would be like to place your hands on a windshield of a car and seeing your mother laying there dead in the front seat. That tears me up more than anything in the world to know that he had to go through that. And now he's being punished for that. This broken family endured yet another gut-wrenching blow when they had to watch Dwight leave for prison. It was goodbye. It was goodbye to the brother that I've always known. It was goodbye to the friend. Losing Dwight affected me just as much as losing my mother. I've lost a complete family. Dwight says he will live the rest of his life haunted by the day he can never take back. There are moments in every day that I will spend probably telling myself, why did you do this? Why, why did you make this mistake? I cannot live this grief down. I just can't do it. So your son, Dwight, was he drag racing? Yes, he was. He was drag racing. Yes, he was. Has an accident, hits the car, and the victim is his mother in yes. the car. Yes, ma'am. In the car. It's really kind of unimaginable. Oh, to say the least. Mm-hmm. What has been the most difficult for you as his father? The loss of his wife, the loss of him being away. But uh, it doesn't get any better. I guess you just kind of adapt to it. Mm -hmm. And four years is too long? I feel that it is. Mm -hmm. I feel that I know a justice system is put in place to you know, because it yeah. has to be there. Yeah, because the, the obvious world. question is if it hadn't have been your mother and had right. been somebody else's mother, four years wouldn't be too long. Right. Well, it, in this situation, it was just that I, I don't think you can ever punish him, rehabilitate him. Anything that our justice system is set up to do, I don't think that no one can do that the way that the fact of pressing your face against that windshield and seeing your mother and seeing what you have done mm -hmm. can. That's life-altering. That, that would change his life more than the Department of Corrections could ever change his life. Mm -hmm. But he still deserves to be punished? I think Dwight is Does being... he not deserve to be punished for the crime that he committed? Yes, that he does. Okay. And you think what? I, I think that he, he, he needed to be punished, and I think that something needed... Because, in fact, what he did do was, was, was out of line. It was against the law. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what happens when you do that kind of thing, you can kill people. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. And it's just, it's a situation of circumstance of my mother being in the car and just that it doesn't make the, the crime or what happened any less serious, mm -hmm. but it's... It feels tragic. Exactly. Yeah, it feels tragic. So how do you all get through with the weight of it? It feels tragic and weighted. It's it's hard to deal with. There's There's so many different angles from... You know, losing my mother kind of, I mean, I, I don't know how many people has lost their mother. That's in itself is hard enough to deal with. But mm -hmm. then to add everything else in with it being my brother and then going straight from the loss of my mother to then the loss of my brother, you know, to the justice system and uh, just watching my family basically come apart. Fall apart. And how is he in jail? He's a changed person. He mm -hmm. He's... Dwight was one of the people that used to be the life of the party. He was always the, the, the clown, the joker, the guy mm -hmm. who made everybody laugh. He, just to be in the room with him would make you feel good. And now 
just being around him depresses you. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's so much as where he's at because, you know, you adapt to your environment and I can see through him. I, I can see through past even the front that he tries to put on for us in the mm -hmm. visitation. Yeah. You're the attorney, right? Yes, ma'am. For years, that seems, the plea bargain, that was, that's a decent amount of time to serve. In light of Florida law, it is, because in Florida, they operate under a sentencing guideline system, points for the type of crime, points for the harm to the victims. And for two counts of vehicular homicide, it, the, the guidelines mandated a minimum 19-year prison sentence to mm -hmm. a maximum of 30. So uh, the, the state of Florida tried to find a, a balance. Balance. You think your mother is in heaven sobbing every day over Dwight? Yes, I do. To my mother is 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 being tormented as we all are. We were a very close family, and if one thing could affect my mother at all, it was her children. Um, I had a very very close relationship with my mother, and Dwight probably had an even closer relationship with my mother. Um, just I, I know that. For anybody to, you know, to even say anything bad about one of us would, would just torment her. It's it's a natural mother's instinct, I mm -hmm. guess. And and she was truly. A, so a you mother think her soul is not at peace with this? Not until we're back together as a family again. Thank you, Paul. What was the worst mistake of your life you wish you could take back, but you cannot? Samantha Babcock says that she was simply trying to avoid a hassle when she decided not to put her young daughter in a car seat. It is a mistake she wishes she could take back every single day. This is a story every parent should hear. Samantha Babcock and her children, seven-year-old Daniel and two-year-old Isabel, accepted a ride home from a friend, even though her friend did not have a car seat. Her hasty decision is a mistake she wishes she could take back. At first, I had my daughter in my lap. We had seatbelts on at that time. My daughter was picking on my son while he was sleeping, and so I wanted to move her. So Samantha unbuckled the seatbelt she shared with her daughter and moved to the floor of the car. I was trying to readjust them and put the seatbelts on both the kids. And the next thing I hear is a smash. Back at the scene of the devastating accident, <laughs> Samantha recounted those painful memories. And then we began rolling. About 25 times it said that I was thrown 60 feet from the car. All I remember seeing is glass all over the highway. But despite her injuries, there was only one thing on her mind. I need to find my babies, because if I flew out of the car, my babies flew out as well. I saw my daughter's blanket that she was wrapped in in the middle of the highway. And I ran to the blanket, and she wasn't there. And I was just screaming, my babies, somebody help me. Please help me find my babies. A passerby called 911, and the paramedics found her children. They had been thrown over a 50-foot overpass. Miraculously, her son had minimal damage, but her daughter was in grave condition. The police report said she was DOA. I checked myself out of the hospital. I go tell my daughter goodbye. And I told her I was sorry, that I was so, so sorry, that mommy loves her, and I'm gonna miss her. She died July 8th. Last year, I was charged for my daughter's death. I was arrested, fingerprinted, booked. We're not putting a car seat in the car. I don't blame necessarily anybody but myself because I did have the choice. 
I know that there are many of you mothers out there watching right now who have done this very same thing. So let this be a, a lesson for all of us. What was going through your mind when you made the decision not to? Um, I knew Mr. Carson. it was the wrong decision to begin with, mm -hmm. but I had to get home. Mm -hmm. I had to get home. And so I decided to go ahead and go without the car mm -hmm. seat. Mm -hmm. And this is how I live today, because mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Samantha says that was one of the few times her daughter had been in a car without a car seat. Very right. true. Right. Normally, you know, I wouldn't go anywhere mm -hmm. without a car seat. Of course, you know, there's a block away that everybody... Everybody chances at. I know there are lots of people watching right now who've done it. It's only a block. It's just a store. It's only going to take a minute. By the time you go through all the trouble to get the car seat in the car. I could have been there and back. <laughs> all of those things that you rationalize. Yeah. But that um, now you wished you hadn't. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. wish to God mm -hmm. I would have went with my first instinct. Yeah. That was a one, uh, a split decision that you made not to put in the car seat, and you've not been able to forgive yourself? I'll never forgive myself. It's my baby, and I had the choice. And nobody realizes that everybody has that choice. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people don't, not that they don't care, they don't think about it. Mm -hmm. They don't sit down and really think about what could happen. Think through the consequences, yeah. I have to live it now. Mm -hmm. The consequence of me not thinking and putting a car seat in the, yeah. in the car. And what do you want to say to parents? <sighs> if there's ever a time that you can't, or you don't have a car seat, do not get in that car, that vehicle, do not do it. I don't care where you're at, what you have to do. Because my baby is gone, because I didn't think, I didn't think at all about the consequences of anything. Everybody says, oh, it'll never happen to me. Well, it happened to me. So it can happen to anybody, any one of you. You could be here right now. Well said. Well said. And I just thank you for the opportunity to be able to, to send a message out to everybody on how important it is and to think twice. Thank you. Thank you. I think, you know, all of us have pains in our life. And sometimes the pains are deeper than others. But all pain is the same. And all of us can choose to do whatever we want with our pain. And you being here today to take this horrible story of you're making a mistake, of split-second decision not to use a car seat and losing your daughter because of it. You've taken the spirit of your daughter and turned that pain into power because you're going to save a lot of people. This show reaches millions of people around the world, and you just you may never know, or maybe you will. Maybe somebody will write your email or whatever. But the spirit of your daughter will abide with you forever, will abide with you forever, and her death will not be in vain because of what you did today. Thank you. I want to say thank you to all my guests today who shared their stories, and I hope you learned from their irreversible mistakes, particularly instinct. 
that little funny feeling that says, I don't know, listen to your own inner voice. Thanks, everybody. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Oprah Show, the podcast. And I thank you for listening. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.